studying about dealing with trouble. You don't have to raise your hand, but did you have any trouble this week? <laughs> uh, I, your laughter gives you away. Um, it seems like uh, we have trouble going on all around us, not only personally, but uh, sometimes in our families, in our, in our communities, and of course in our nation, around the world. It's a lot of trouble taking place. Well, how do we as Christians deal with uh, trouble in our lives? We're basically looking at Exodus chapter 14 and uh, the trouble that Israel was having as they were leaving uh, Egypt. So today we want to, as we look with, at dealing with trouble, we want to keep looking to the Lord. We continue our studies here uh, in this uh, particular area. We can learn from the Israelite experience in Exodus chapter 14. It shows uh, here that there are references all the way through Scripture, actually, about them crossing the Red Sea and God choosing the various writers of Scripture to use this as an example. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so that's why we, we need to look at it. We need to, to realize what, uh, what uh, uh, God has given through the uh, writers of Scripture and often using this as an example in dealing with trouble. Now, besides the story recorded in Exodus 14, we have many references. Uh, an indirect reference would be uh, Deuteronomy 7:19, the great temptations which now, which thine eyes saw, and the signs and wonders, and the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm, whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out. So shall the Lord thy God do unto the, all the people of whom thou art afraid. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 9, and didst the See the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry by the Red Sea, and show us signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and all his servants and on all the people of his land. For thou knowest that they dealt proudly against them. So didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their persecutors thou threwest into the deeps as a stone into the mighty waters. And then in Psalm 77, verse 19 and 20, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not shown. Thou lettest the people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Psalm 78, verse 13, He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to, the, to stand as a heap. In Psalm 106, in verse 7 and 8, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt, they remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked them, him at the sea, even the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. Psalm 136 and verse 13, it begins to say, To them which divided the sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew 
Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. Get the point? His mercy endureth forever. Uh, Isaiah 11, verse 15, And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and this, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it in the seven streams, and make men go over dry shod. Isaiah 43, 16, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters. Isaiah 43, and verse 19, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In Isaiah 51, 10, Art thou not in it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that had made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? And then in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7, it says, He brought them out. After that, he showed uh, wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, and the wilderness forty years. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye be ignorant that how our, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the seas. I think uh, that last verse kind of sums up why God gave us so many different scriptures along this line. He would not have us to be ignorant. I don't know if you've ever looked how many times you find the Red Sea referred to, but it's given to us as an example. And uh, we see many, many references to this great work of God in the lives of the children of Israel, and it has been used to teach many other lessons from trouble, and hopefully to us as well. So notice, first of all, the enemy in pursuit. The enemy in pursuit. And we're in Exodus chapter 14 and looking at verses 9 uh, through uh, uh, 5 through 9. Exodus 14, verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants were turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out from with the, the high hand. But Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamped by the sea beside uh, Pyrrhivrath before Baal Saphon. No doubt the enemy, the devil, sometimes launches a direct and frontal attack. Uh, we've heard uh, of that and we've experienced it perhaps. But you know what? Really the devil is more devious and deceptive. He doesn't usually just hit you head on. In Ephesians 6.11, Paul warned against the wilds of uh, the, uh, the tricky methods of the devil. And you know, whenever he attacks, uh, whether covertly or overtly, he is closer and crueler than we realize, like Pharaoh in Exodus 14. As Pharaoh looked out over his wasted kingdom, he saw the slave quarters deserted like ghost towns. Uh, his building projects were suspended and the sound of construction had ceased. And there was not a pounding of hammers or the scraping of rocks and the shouting of the foreman. The snap of the whips was silent and there was 
uh, nor was there a slave nearby to draw his bath, his oil his body, or fetch his breakfast, or bow at his feet. Pharaoh had, was plundered and humbled before his countrymen and became extremely angry. And so the order went out from Pharaoh's, uh, to Pharaoh's soldiers and his armies, uh, and they were, they were mobilized in record time. In verse 9, it says, But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them, encamping by the sea beside Pyrrhoth before Baal-Saphon. Have you ever been pursued? I remember back in the day when I could run. You know, some of you can remember that day too. I don't run anymore, okay? But there was a day when I could run, and I would go out and run the streets of our neighborhood, and often I would come to a house where there was a dog, and it was not tied up or behind a fence, and it would come running after me, barking ferociously, ready to take a big bite out of my leg. I always hated that. Of course, they always knew I didn't get along with their kind anyway. But uh, I would go out running, and here, here comes a dog. Uh, my son experienced something similar. He was riding his bike home one day, and a dog bit him in the behind. And uh, he came home, and he was kind of uh, quiet. And so uh, we kind of questioned him, you know, what happened? Well, the neighbor dog across from the church bit me as I was riding home. And so when anyone in our family was kind of quiet and not, we would always ask them, do you get bit by a dog? <laughs> well, there's more to that story, but we won't go into that. But uh, maybe you felt pursued spiritually uh, or, or oppressed. You know, sense the devil kind of nipping at your heels. Ever wondered if your troubles were kind of orchestrated by a malicious, invisible hand? Have you ever suspected your depression or your anger stemmed from a vindictive source? Now here we're looking at how we're to acknowledge our enemy, but keep our eyes on the Lord. You know, as we consider this, I believe we can make a parallel between Pharaoh and Satan. Both are unyielding enemies who want the power of God for themselves. Both have been plundered by the Almighty and, and both were enraged until they couldn't take it any longer. Both have assembled vast armies for the destruction of God's people and he, yet neither seems to realize how utterly defeated they already are. And so we find throughout the scriptures that the Bible likens uh, Satan to five different animals. Satan is likened to five different animals. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, a serpent trying to deceive God's people. Uh, in Matthew 13, it's, it's likened to a bird trying to spoil God's harvest. Uh, in John 10, is a wolf attacking God's sheep. And in 1 Peter 5, a lion trying to devour God's ch uh, children. And then in Revelation 12, he's seen as a dragon wanting to destroy God's son. And so you have in the, in, in the scriptures these uh, different animals that are uh, compared to, or Satan is compared to. 
And so when you get pursued, sometimes it's not just a real dog that's pursuing you, but it might be Satan that's pursuing you. The Bible also assures us that the blood of Jesus forgives our sins and resolves our guilt. The Bible assures us that his resurrection frees us from the fear of death and it satisfies our need for eternal significance and happiness. And the Bible assures us the presence of the Lord surrounds us. And the Bible assures us that the promises of the Bible sustain us. And the Bible assures us that his grace heals our wounds. In John 8, 36, it says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. But Satan doesn't surrender without a fight. He comes racing after the converted soul, the believer, chariot wheels churning in the dust, seeking to discourage each one of us and to feed us. He pursues us with the intensity of Pharaoh. He may use some of your old friends. Uh, He may use bits of persecution. He may use discouraging responses of your family. He may show you a hypocrite in the church or afflict you with the lack of zeal. He may launch a missile of temptation right at your heart and fire a volley of trials and troubles into your life. Satan tries to pursue you with difficulty, to entangle you with trouble, to corner you with impossible situations, to lure you into temptation. And if you're in a tough situation, even right now, maybe you're suffering, suffering some pain or worry or some illness. The devil is undoubtedly behind it to in a greater or lesser degree. I'm not saying that everything that happens to us is because of the devil, but the devil will use those things that happen to us to try to discourage us. Now, we acknowledge Satan's activity, but don't be intimidated by him. You can resist him in the power of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do not the scriptures tell us in Daniel eleven thirty two, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be uh, shall he corrupt by flatteries? But the people that do not uh, do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The word exploits there is supplied by the translators. It's in italics, uh, but it's not there by mistake. It's there to help us understand the meaning. And the meaning is that they sh- they would show great know-how and perform illustrious deeds in battle. They resist the wicked one, as it tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, who resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Ephesians 6.13 says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You see, when we reject the enemy, 
in the name of Jesus Christ, when we stand our ground, when we resist his wiles and claim the victory of faith, when we shake off discouragement in the name of the Lord, Satan is defeated. We could even say he's drowned in the Red Sea of the blood of Jesus Christ. Every time we resist even the slightest temptation, we honor God. Every time we overcome even the smallest problem by trusting and obeying our Lord, God is glorified in our lives. Whenever we choose character over convenience, faithfulness over ease, honesty over deceit, uh, when we, uh, we will be bringing honor to the Lord himself. When we serve him with waterproof obedience, even in small things, God is glorified just as he was at the Red Sea. Again, these things are given to us for examples. They are models, models, they are patterns for us to follow. Now notice with me, secondly, the enemy's attempt to trap. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, again, we're being very uh, free and open with our quoting of scripture and so forth. I think that's important for us to understand uh, God's, uh, uh, God's way of dealing with trouble is be in his word. But Paul is an example for us as well. We see quite a number of scriptures. The apostle Paul encountered people trying to hinder his ministry. And so Satan attempts on Paul. Notice some of them with me. These were his attempts, uh, Satan's attempts uh, to try to discourage Paul. Acts 13, 10, and he said, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the ways of the Lord? When he looked out over the unsaved audience that he had, he blamed Satan for their lostness. In Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inherit among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The apostle lamented to young Timothy that those who reject the gospel are caught in the snare of the devil. In 2 Timothy 2, 26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive of him at his will. And likewise, when men and women confessed Christ as Savior, uh, Paul saw it was a clear blow to Satan's empire. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. When Paul encountered troublemakers in the church, he discerned the crafty hand of Satan. Romans 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly by, their, by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For their, uh, your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, when Paul was sick, he believed Satan had a hand in it. 
He referred to his illness as the messenger of Satan to buffet him. When he was unable to visit the Thessalonian church, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul exercised church discipline on an erring, uh, erring member, and he was going to turn such a one over to Satan in 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. When married couples in his churches had marital problems uh, that resulted in immorality, Paul blamed such lapses on the devil. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Defraud ye not one another, except, ye be, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your in, uh, incontinency. When uh, the apostle came across the Gentiles worshiping idols, he knew Satan was behind it. 1 Corinthians 10, 20-21. When he found Christians harboring bitter or forgiving, unforgiving attitudes toward others. He saw the hand of Satan. We see that in his instructions there in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. He says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. He told the Corinthians to forgive the man who had sinned against them in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 10 and 11. And when his converts strayed, Paul attributed their behavior to the devil, 1 Timothy 4.1, as well as 1 Timothy 5.15. And then when uh, false teachers popped up, Paul believed that they had been sent by Satan, 2 Corinthians 11.13-15. When local church leaders had made a mess of their reputation and their work, he blamed the evil one, 1 Timothy 3.6-7. And, and then our fight is not against a physical enemy, Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, folks, we can't blame everything on Satan, but he sure is the reason for a lot of it. And so we need to be careful. Uh, we not only think of Paul, but we think of Job. Uh, Job uh, uh, would have would have understood Paul's concern. He lost his herds to the barbarians. He lost his children to the great wind. Now to a Kansas boy, that'd be a tornado, okay? Uh, but to his health, to a disease, his wealth, to misfortune. As he sat among the ashes, scraping his boils and the pottery with pottery shards and, and bemoaning his faith, he didn't realize that his afflictions had been orchestrated by Satan in an attempt to destroy his soul. But they had been. Satan has his attempt on us as well. The same devil orchestrates similar attacks on you and me. How can we respond or how should we re respond? Well, we should draw near to Christ and keep ourselves under the protective cloud of his grace. Here in Exodus 14, Pharaoh had threatened with his great strength. Uh, he, uh, he could stir up frightening clouds of chariot dust. He was terrifying uh, them with thousands of swords, but he was actually powerless to actually harm the Israelites as long as they remember, re, re, uh, remained under the protective cloud of God's glory and grace. And so in 1 Peter 5, 9, it says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. 
Now, I made reference earlier when I was out running and a dog would hear me coming and then pretty soon they'd be ferociously barking and, and would sound like the angriest dog I'd ever heard. And then I would realize this ferocious dog was behind a chain link fence. Whew. That dog may have been right up to the fence, but I was safe from its protection. And you know, Satan can growl and he can bark and he can lunge and he can threaten, but when we're enclosed by the grace of God, he can do us no real or lasting harm. But we always make a mistake when we acknowledge the Lord and keep our eyes on Satan. Far better is it to not acknowledge the devil and keep our eyes on Christ. Think about this. It seems that Paul had a lot, gave a lot of credit to Satan. But in reality, Paul's focus was on the Lord, wasn't it not? I mean, if you read Paul's letters, the name Jesus occurs 221 times. The name Lord occurs 282 times. And the name Christ occurs 480, uh, 406 times. Satan's only uh, Satan's name only occurs 10 times and the devil only five times. You see, when things are going bad, when you're feeling pursued, when you're feeling trapped between the sword and the sea, when you're under assault, we need to acknowledge the devil. Yes, it might have been the devil, but we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. He will see us through and he will make a way. And so I trust as we think about this this morning, that we'll keep our eyes upon the Lord, keep our focus on him. Let's pray. Father.